I'll tell you what, if you ever want to light the match and watch the powder keg go boom, just ask the question, hey, should we reduce residential speeds? Holy smokes, did we get just bombarded with so much rage against the possibility of reducing residential speeds because that's what they're doing. They're launching, the city is going ahead with this pilot project where they're going to drop the speed in a couple of neighborhoods to try it out. And um, it seems like most of you are not too happy about that. So we had lots of great chats about that. And we had lots of fun talking about how Chip and Pepper bought Cub Bread. And that triggered a conversation about big brands that were a big or are a big part of your life. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 5th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. What was the line that I hope hopefully we'll hear at 635, Mr. Mackling? We used to go clubbing and now we be Cubbin. <laughs> I can't quite do the chip and fo- chip and pepper foster voice, but my my throat hurts just listening to those boys talk. And they've always spoken like that. The gravelly. Yeah, that gravelly voice. I'm like, oh my goodness. But I don't know. I don't know what sort of training you had to undergo to get a voice like that. I can just imagine. So yeah, Cub Bread is back, thanks to a couple of Winnipeg entrepreneurs who went on to, some would say, bigger and better things, but uh, Winnipeg always close to their heart. Exciting stuff. It is. Well, here's the thing, you know, that bread has been around for, what, 100 years, 99 years in Winnipeg, uh, and then we learned in the fall that they were going to close after you know nearly a century, just due to all sorts of financial reasons, and so now Chip and Pepper Foster are coming in to get into the bread business after making headlines. I think all, when we were probably all teenagers for being in the clothing business, bread. Yeah, that's right. The Chip and Pepper clothing brand that would have been, I guess, the late '80s and into the uh, early '90s. There were the, the it was like the tie dye wars, so to speak. You had Chip and Pepper on one hand, and then Grand Beach Club on the other. And I remember a couple of my buddies had some chip and pepper wetware shirts with the, the you know, I'm looking at the icon, the logo right now with the two bulldogs wearing the the shades. And I always liked the chip and pepper, but I like the Grand Beach Club, too. And I ended up with the Grand Beach Club sweater it was a, it was like a sky blue tie dye. And I wore it to first day of school in grade seven, thinking this is a really heavy sweater for first day of school. <laughs> but uh, but, I, but you had to wear it. I had it to wear the, it. It was, was the thing to do, man. It was the new shirt, but I did always want, wish I had a chip and pepper sweater too. Yeah, Winnipeg was sort of ground zero. They were groundbreaking in terms of bringing that tie-dye, that beachwear concept. And uh, Grand Beach Club, I think, was the uh, was the work of one of the larger manufacturers, garment manufacturers here in Winnipeg. And so the fact that here you had these two young guys, these upstart guys selling sweatshirts at Grand Beach and out in Kenora, basically out of the trunk of their car. And then, uh, you know, you have a company who's been selling garments for almost 100 years at that time, looking around going, we need to get on this. Uh, What do they say about imitation? The most sincere form of flattery. And Winnipeg, as you mentioned, the Grand Beach Club and stuff. So Winnipeg was right on the ground at ground zero. And then, of course, Chip and Pepper went to California, NBC, 
caught wind of them. Brandon Tartikoff uh, caught them on Much Music or MTV, gave them their their own cartoon show on Saturday mornings <laughs> that lasted right. about a year or so. Chip yes. and Pepper's Cartoon Madness. Yes. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so that really kind of catapulted them into the North American spotlight. Kind of a, a, a really cool story. Uh, Loren, don't roll your eyes, but I can remember Chip and Pepper coming to work to ch- for Chip and Pepper. No, or never Pepper did. Angry? Never or, did. Or aspired to. Aspired to. But uh, uh, Chip and Pepper would come to, to Chi-Chi's every once in a while and always, always oh, with an entourage. Yeah? Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at their Wikipedia page. It's already been updated. Uh, it says, Chip and Pepper Foster are identical twin businessmen from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. They are co-owners of Chip and Pepper California and former hosts of their own NBC series, Chip and Pepper's Cartoon Madness, and owners of Cub Bread in <laughs> Winnipeg, Manitoba. Good for them. Good for them. I think it was revealed yesterday they'd already shipped a, a load of bread across the, the line into Minnesota to Warroad. So th- their intent on taking this brand right across North America like they did with their with their wetware. That's pretty cool. So that's a that's a great update to uh you know what was a sad story I think for a lot of Manitobans. So we'll have much more on that at 6:35 and then we're going to spin that off at 6:45 and tell you how you can win yourself Four passes for the Winnipeg Renovation Show as it pertains to big brands in your life. Also, today we are hoping to discuss, uh, Loren, um, a pilot project to lower speeds in residential neighborhoods. Yeah, we knew this was coming. We've been They've been talking about it for a while at City Hall, but there's been some starts and stops with it just because of the fact that, you know, things haven't been normal in the past couple of years. But what they're talking about doing is reducing the speed in some neighborhoods, in residential neighborhoods, uh, to potentially 40 kilometers per hour. And so, you know, I think you have to consider um, when you're driving out there right now and you're and you're going 50, is that already sorry from 50 to 30 rather i don't mean 40 so they, they there's an ongoing effort to lower the residential speed limit from 50 kilometers per hour to 30 and they're going to test this out in a couple more neighborhoods and from the sounds of things this is this is what residents are demanding they're living on these streets their kids may be playing on these streets they're walking on these streets greg and and, and people are zipping down those roads far too fast I, I i my only thing with this is as long as there's the proper signage and this doesn't turn into some sort of like photo radar cash grab again where we're we're all being dinged 200 bucks to for not going the speed limit then i'm fine with it because i do know even in my own neighborhood there are a number of times i'm shaking my hands in in the air at cars going by too fast but i don't know what do you think about reducing the speed limit in say your neighborhood from 50 to 30 on some of those uh more active streets i've been screaming for this for years Uh, my front street is also technically my back lane because we have front driveways in my neighborhood. Most of my street does not have sidewalks, so the street is also a sidewalk. And let's be honest, for a lot of us, uh, the front street is an extension of, uh, it forms a playground at times. Even if you're playing basketball, let's say, in your driveway, you know, the ball can get away from you sometimes and the ball can end up in the street. There are some kids in our neighborhood that set up their basketball net right at the end of their driveway and the and the street is their basketball court like it was for ball hockey or street hockey back in in my day or street football all these sorts of things and so to make residential areas and neighborhoods more livable and to acknowledge that uh, to imagine that on my bay 
it's quote unquote legal to go 50 kilometers an hour, the same speed you're allowed to go on Grant Avenue, Mm -hmm. two lanes in each direction with a boulevard in between and all sorts of visibility has always bothered me. So they're looking at this at Worthington and Richmond West neighborhoods, Tyndall Park South, Burkevale neighborhoods, and it still requires council approval, Which so we're working to get some interviews on that to see where this might go. But the idea that you might need to slow down, and, and, and consider this, we're also still building neighborhoods where we don't have sidewalks on a lot of those streets or like active transportation. So people are using the streets, um, you know, they might be walking on them. You might be biking on them with your kids. You don't have the opportunity to, to slow down like you would when you have children for sure. And so the cars are going to need to slow down instead. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Coming up after Global News at 7 o'clock, we will speak with City Councilor Janice Lukes on the pilot project to lower speeds in residential neighborhoods. We are getting lots of great feedback at 204-780-6868. Keep it coming. And uh, we'll get more into that at 7.05. And in our next segment, we're going to tell you how you can win yourself some tickets to the Winnipeg Renovation Show coming January 13th to the 15th at RBC Convention Centre. And it's going to tie into what we're about to discuss right now, the closure of Winnipeg's iconic Cub Bakery in November, after almost a century in business, came as a surprise to Winnipeggers. But the, the company's iconic rye bread is making a comeback after a few months away from local shelves. Global's Iris Dick reports. It's a day Ross Einfeld worried he'd never see. Cub bread, getting another chance after he had to suddenly close the 99-year-old business in November. I was starting to wonder if someone was going to pick up the torch. I'm very <laughs> happy to announce today and that uh, someone has done that. The unexpected buyers? Identical twins Chip and Pepper Foster of 90s cartoon and clothing fame. Winnipeg! Like this, that's what I do now, the W. Aside from the twins' various fashion lines, Pepper also co-owns a bakery on Corden, one of the many small facilities in Manitoba producing Cubs bread while the brothers look for a commercial space. They hope to sell the iconic brand across Canada and in the States, where Chip lives. I think with our direction on the marketing media side and all that, I think we can turn it around. I think we'll be extremely successful. Success Einfeld says he's thrilled to see. After inflation, COVID, and equipment failures decimated his bottom line, he shuttered the business and sold the Aaron Street building, but held out hope Cub Bread wasn't gone for good. I'm just happy that it didn't just die. I mean, that was 41 years of my life. We're, uh, you know, Winnipeggers, born and bred. Born and bred. Born and bred. You know what's so funny? We used to go clubbing. Now Now we're we're clubbing. It's not clear exactly how Chip and Pepper will operate the company going forward or how many of the 100-plus products they'll choose to revive. The brothers do say they'll be making some changes to Cub, namely the branding and price point. But they promise the classic rye recipe isn't going anywhere. Nice and fresh. Iris Dick, Global News. Born and bred Winnipeggers. The- <laughs> Love it. <laughs> the brothers. We used to go clubbing. <laughs> the brothers Foster clubbing. are as gregarious as ever, Loren, and they joined Richard and Julie on the news yesterday afternoon. Chip Foster and Pepper Foster join us now from clothing to cooking. Congratulations, gentlemen. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're so excited. First question comes from my brother who texted me, will Chip and Pepper bring in tie-dye rye? Oh, my God. That's that's 100% yes. (laughs) I feel like in that moment, it sounded like it never occurred to them, Greg. They hadn't contemplated the possibility. But uh, it's very clear, I think, that after all these years, Chip and Pepper, they really just still have that strong connection to Manitoba and Winnipeg. There's a lot of reasons. Obviously, we're born here, raised here. My family's in the pickle business, Elman's Food Products. We're pretty famous for pickles and herring, hot mustard and horseradish. And nothing better than a, a great almonds pickle with a tub bread, I'll tell you that. That's a home run. But, you know, the connections of, of basically doing uh, chip and pepper and when we started, when we moved to Los Angeles in 89, you know, Brandon Turtikoff, uh, the head of NBC, gave us a TV show after we they saw appearance of us on Much Music and MTV. And uh, we ended up going down to the States. And for the young whippersnappers out there, you know, we never had Back then, we never had Snapchat, Google, Instagram, Facebook. It was you, you guys, you, CJOB, CBC, CTV, Global, Shaw, MTN. That was our influence in market where we could influence people on networks or radio, and so be it, you know. And so when we did that, you know, when we went, went, went south, uh, you know, our heart is always in Winnipeg. I'm exhausted just listening to them. And in the very best way do I mean that, Brett, just the idea of trying to keep up with them. Having two hosts, two guests, both of whom are joining from separate locations can be a bit of a challenge, a little bit like herding cats. If you want an analogy, here are Chip and Pepper on how this came to be. I, well, I think, tell you, you know, uh, what, go what, ahead, Chip. Go ahead, Pep. No, go. <laughs> so I think what made us sign on the dotted line was we were actually on the beach working on another uh, deal and Pepper got a feed uh, from someone in Winnipeg and said, you know, you know, the, the information about Cub and we are devastated because obviously growing up as a, a, a young boy and, you know, my relatives eating, I was explaining this to a couple of great friends of mine, you know, nothing like a corned beef sandwich and a, and a, and a Cub bread and some, a, a bottle of Coke. And it was like, the best and to hear that because it is the donut of bread if anyone's never had it go buy it when when cub bread is we're back but if you have the chance to see it in a a few stores because it is out there buy it harry's Harry's fine food (laughs) this is just sort of the perfect amalgam of brands because you've got Cub Brand, which is you know a near hundred year old brand in the city, and then Chip and Pepper. I know they're they're two guys. We just heard them, but whenever I hear the words Chip and Pepper, I think of the brand because that was such a big part of my mm-hmm. sort of adolescence. Uh, we talked earlier about the the tie dye wars that we had in the city of Winnipeg, and so to have that brand now join forces with the bread brand, that's uh, it. This is just such a good news story. And I think it makes you think about, you know, there's there's things that you hang on to because there's tradition and then there's things that you enjoy because they're actually genuinely good. And I, I put this bread in that category and you think it can be successful, right? And so where will this go? And I don't know. There's a lot of things that we get, make headlines for, Greg, for all the wrong reasons. And it's nice to know maybe there's some efforts to, you know, keep us on the map for others. I wouldn't be. I'm fine if they want to take us international as a bread city. 
I love that immensely, and I'm smiling ear to ear, just contemplating all the possibilities and listening to the energy and the passion just uh, thrills me. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb just talking about brands with Chip and Pepper, the iconic brand merging with another iconic brand, Cub Bread. And that got us thinking about brands that were a big part of our life. Tell us a story at 204-780-6868. Was it clothing? Was it something like shoes? For example, I don't know if you remember this from 1991 in the NBA. Oh, you're shoes I know the audio wasn't all that clear, but that was D. Brown from the Boston Celtics at the 1991 NBA Slam Dunk Contest pumping up his Reebok pumps. Of course, the Reebok pumps. And he went on to win that contest with the blind dunk where he held his arm over his over his face as he jammed the ball in and Reebok of course milked that to the marketing bone, much to the chagrin of my parents because I had to have Reebok pumps. And uh, I beat those shoes to death and then I needed a new pair. I needed the Reebok pump black tops. And uh, they were expensive shoes. But they, they were like a hundred bucks plus back oh, then, yeah. right? Oh yeah, yeah. My I, parents were not happy that these are the shoes I decided I wanted, but they were a huge part of my life. The I don't like pump. I don't like spending a hundred bucks plus on a pair of shoes now for my no. kids. To imagine spending a hundred and fifty bucks back in the in the nineties, oh my gosh, it's like you, a car payment. You owe Gord some cash, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. You should drive by there later today with a check. <laughs> okay, Dad, let me know what you think. Text me. E-transfer. E-transfer. <laughs> uh, so tell us what brand was a big part of your life. Poitras, what about you? Well, people go crazy for sneakers. Like I, I, It's always something I've kept my hands away from because I know probably if I got into it, I would get into it. I'm very much like that. I like a lot of stuff. Um, well, first of all, uh, Rolex. I won't wear anything but a Rolex. Uh, let, me, let me see that. Uh, don't worry about this. This is just my uh, runaround. Like, if you're an Omega person, see you later. I'm only Rolex. Um, I think you meant Timex. You've been reading, you've been well, reading that wrong, I am wearing a Timex. Um, but, uh, but one thing is, like, um, I, I, I went to the dark side for a bit, and then I came back, was, was my Sony PlayStation. My PS1 was my OG, my original, like, video game system. And I, I loved it had the PlayStation 2 and then for whatever reason I went to the Xbox 360 I think all my friends were getting it and then I decided um, that it wasn't for me and I was actually betraying my soul and myself um, and I went I went and got a PlayStation 4 and I will never ever not have a PlayStation I'll never go back to Xbox or Nintendo or anything like that so uh, PlayStation and uh, and I'm and this is uh, totally from my wife I'm a total sucker for Disney now um, just like the Disney brand not, not really Marvel I love Star Wars and stuff like that but um, Disney is another thing like I can always buy my wife something with like the Disney logo on it she's gonna love it and she's kind of that's kind of rubbed on me I love I love their stuff all right Jeff Braun what about you for me it also goes back to shoes but I wasn't uh, we made fun of the Reebok pump kids as like <laughs> boy those guys are losers uh, I had to have the Air Jordans yeah. there was just no two ways about it I convinced my parents as like look it I'm on the grade eight basketball team here. I'm 13 <laughs> years old, and these shoes are going to make all the difference in the world. Even though in reality, if I would have played barefoot on broken glass, my game wouldn't have been any different than it was with the uh, $100 shoes. So 
it was the Air Jordans. I love those shoes, and uh, uh, they're probably still to this day the my favorite shoes I've ever had. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why I went with the pumps is because I hated Michael Jordan so much. His team's always decimated all of my favorite teams. Yes! So, yeah, hey, much respect. Um, Forte, what about you? Microsoft and then Apple. When I was a kid, all of the computers everyone had in their home was Microsoft. It was the, the Microsoft PC. You go to school, it'd be Microsoft, except for some of the computer labs would have an Apple in it, and you'd sit behind an Apple and you'd go the hell is this? How do I work this thing? Yeah. Like It was so complicated. And then time goes on and then Apple comes out with the iPhone and the iPad and everything else. Now everything in my house is Apple. And now I'm going, well, now it's, it's getting a little too pricey for me. So I think maybe am I going back to Microsoft? I don't know. So, it, you know, it's a fight between Microsoft and Apple. In my head, it's always going to be that way. Do you own an Apple computer? Uh, I, laptop, yes. Okay, okay. I got an iPad. I got an, what's this? iWatch, iPhone. You're just you're in the ecosystem. Yeah. Good luck getting out. Well, Forte. that's exactly that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem. But you know, it's getting so pricey, and when they don't give you the stupid brick for to charge your phone, that's you know, that's almost like a see you later. Oh. Forte, you got a hundred of those in your house. They keep changing the bricks, though. Yeah, like. The, that the new chargers don't fit the old bricks. Yeah, and I hate the the, the the sidebar. I hate how big they're making these bricks now. Like you know, if you got a multi-port power bar, you got to unplug half of the stuff just to fit half of these yeah. bricks. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. What about you, Loren? Okay, well, I've talked before about Club Monaco, the what the sweaters that had the circle, you know, was it, and then the Club Monaco went around in the circle, and they were, I think, a hundred and some dollars back then. So with a family of four kids, we started off with just one, and then two, and then we would swap out the days, we'd wear them. I think we maybe got to three, but we started off with a white one, then a green one for me, and, a, and then a maroon rolled in at some point, and that was like the must-have sweater. Much like the Mondetta or other, it, was, it just seems crazy we were paying that amount back in the 90s, which was why it wasn't affordable. When I think to now, the thing that I like, and this is not clothing, but I, I cannot, I love salt and vinegar chips and I can't do it if it's not Lay's. Like I, I will, don't get me wrong, I'll eat any brand of chips, but they're not as good if they're not Lay's. I love Lay's chips. And what I really don't get, and I just noticed these the other day in the mall, the number of teenagers wearing their socks with Birkenstocks, Birkenstocks, which were big in the 90s oh. which, and should have died then. I uh, are still kicking around. That's another are, brand I'm desperately um, loyal to is Birkenstocks. I really? love my Birkenstocks. Oh yeah, sandals. but you love my your God. sandal feet. Oh, you, big they're time. probably comfortable. Oh, you can't them. you can't go to Disney World and do all the Disney and wear your Rolex if you don't have your <laughs> bare feet out and your you know, Birkenstocks. I, well, I need everyone to know how big of a high roller I am, Loren. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's you, some there's some that you can't figure out why they're still there. Socks and sandals. Yeah, that's a that's a trend I just don't understand. Let's not talk about it because it's bad. I was a Nike guy from grade four on. The Nike all courts were nineteen ninety nine. I had a ten dollar budget for running shoes, and so I had to get a paper route if I wanted to wear Nikes. I had to pay the difference. I got would get ten dollars from my mom and dad. Yeah, and then I would have to make up the difference. But the brand. Do you remember wristbands? Those sweatbands. I never wore one around my head, but always around my wrist. Saranac was the brand, and I'm on eBay right now, and they've got vintage 70s and 80s Nike wristbands in the package. 
$271. And the Saranac brand ones are about 40 bucks still in the package. I must have had 30 pairs of those Saranac with the triangle on them. I would wear them everywhere. And I had the different colors for every outfit. I had to I had to have my wristbands. The wristbands. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. What brand has played a big part in your life, whether it was for a just a short moment in time, or maybe it's something that you remain loyal to to this day, like Cam and his PlayStation. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win those Winnipeg Renovation Show passes. We'll pick a winner at 915. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're going to have an important conversation on speed in residential areas in just a moment. But a reminder, we're asking you about brands that have played a big part of your life, whether it was just for a part of your life or maybe they continue to play a big part in your life. Like Phil, what does Phil say? Ooh, my aunt got me a stunning swatch for my, I think it was my 10th birthday, says Phil in 1987. Let me tell you, I was strutting my stuff in my fluorescent t-shirt and red Converse shoes. Look out, ladies. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So keep those coming for a chance to win Winnipeg Renovation Show passes. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. But reduced speed limits could be coming to a neighborhood near you. Yeah, so for several years now, years we're talking, the city of Winnipeg has talked about whether changes need to be made to residential street speed limits in order to just force drivers to slow down. And now we're learning this long-discussed pilot project that would see speeds go from 50 kilometers per hour to 30 kilometers per hour is coming to a handful of streets. Janice Lukes is the chair of Winnipeg's Public Works Committee and councillor for Waverly West. Happy New Year, Janice. Happy New Year, Lauren and team. Happy New Year. So when and where is this happening? This is a pilot project that's going to start, uh, I believe, in March. There'll be two neighborhoods that will receive 40-kilometer speed limits and two neighborhoods that will receive 30-kilometer speed limits. So the Public Works Department looked at various parts of the city, various neighborhoods, various um, grid infrastructure, loop infrastructure for roads, uh, worked with councillors and determined they wanted to pilot four areas. So this will be starting um, in March. The neighborhoods that will be part of the pilot project will all receive letters, um, surveys, information, and then there will be a broader gathering of data from residents who pass through these neighborhoods or anyone that wants to offer a comment. Janice, if there was a broad acceptance to, of this and, and most people or a majority of people felt that this was a no-brainer, this would have been done by now, what are some of the, the pushbacks here? I know we're getting some of them on the text uh, line here. And in my preamble and our conversation about it earlier, I mentioned the fact that many neighbourhoods in Winnipeg, of course, don't have sidewalks. Uh, in my neighbourhood, I have a front driveway, so my front street is also my back lane. But also my driveway is my kid's playground. So my residential street is, if it's not a playground itself, which it can be, I admit, and and my front street was growing up, it's playground adjacent at the very least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you something. I've been working in the field of active transportation now for almost 20 years. So back in 2001, 2002, 
there were about eight or nine of us advocating for more pathways and sidewalks. People, it wasn't even called active transportation back then. We were worried about using that terminology because people wouldn't know what it was. Now we have thousands of people advocating for better, better active transportation, a better active transportation network. We can't always provide that. We can't go out and provide sidewalks on every street in the city of Winnipeg. It's just not feasible. So what's been happening across North America, basically the world, is as cities grow and densify, people are requesting, not even requesting, demanding safer places to walk and bike. So what cities are doing is they're looking at reducing speed limits. Many cities in Canada have reduced speed limits in their cities, in their urban environment. So, you know, just like 20 years ago when there were only eight or nine people wanting to see more active transportation, we're at a formative point right now. We're piloting this. What will come of it will be very good data, very good information, a great opportunity for public input. I can't wait till my email box fills up. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know what, we're going to look at this. And like, like I'm just looking at the agenda, the public works agenda for this coming or for next week. We have three or four items that, you know, traffic study, traffic comic request, speed limit study, speed reduction, and all these different streets throughout the city. Every single public works agenda, that's on it. There's People are requesting this. So for as many people that don't want it, there are probably as many people that do. And... The city has, you know, took a long time coming, but a, a lot of things took a long time coming under the former regime. Uh, now we're actually moving forward and, and making progress, and we're going to be implementing a pilot. What sort of warning or signs will, or even education program will, will there be to alert drivers for this project that they're now in slower speed zones? Because, I mean, that's been one of the big beefs, as you know, with school zones, that the signs just are not good enough. Mm-hmm. So the neighborhoods that have been picked are neighborhoods that have, I'd say, you know, three or four key access points. So there will be a gateway signage into the neighborhood, and then in the neighborhood, signs will be posted. People are driving powerful vehicles. At all times, they need to be aware of what's happening around them. They need to be reading the signs. They need to be aware. So... You know, it'll take a little time, I'm sure, for people to to realize and get used to this. But this is a pilot. We're going to see how it goes. Before we let you go, Janice, I just want to clarify the streets or neighborhoods. Some are going from 50 to 40, some from 50 to 30. Do you have specifics on which ones? Sure. So the one neighborhood, the Worthington neighborhood, which is in uh, just off north of Bishop Grandin in St. Patel, is going to 40 kilometers. The neighborhood of Richmond West is going to 40 kilometers. In Tyndall Park South, a 30-kilometer area. And in St. James, around the community center in Burkevale, that's going to 30 kilometers an hour. And, you know, I fully expect there'll be a lot of people that don't like this. It's not the end of the world. Um, 40 kilometers an hour, it takes 18 seconds to go a kilometer. It takes 18 seconds more in time to go one kilometer. So I don't think that's the end of the world. 
another 18 seconds to go a kilometer provides changes to a neighborhood. People, people, the, the, people want to have more livability in their neighborhoods, just like your example there about the kids playing on the driveway right next to, you know, 50-kilometer-an-hour vehicles racing through. Um, I know you're to drive to the conditions. Everyone should drive to the conditions. I think very factually we're very aware that doesn't happen. Um, but in a lot of cases it does, but a lot of cases it doesn't. So it's a pilot. It's, you know, it's a pilot. Janice Lukes, Chair of Winnipeg's Public Works Committee and Councillor for Waverly West. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this. You're welcome. I look forward to answering my emails this morning. Small town salute with Ukrainian Christmas approaching and the war in Ukraine weighing on the hearts and minds of so many. We thought we would head out this week to a community that is working around the clock to help refugees find some peace this holiday season. Yeah, so the city of Dauphin, which is about three and a half kilometers three and a half hour drive rather northwest of Winnipeg. It's long been home to a significant Ukrainian population, but when that Russian invasion forced hundreds of thousands of people to flee, the people of Dauphin, of course, like many across Manitoba, decided to open their collective community doors again. And their efforts to help led to the creation of the Parkland Ukrainian Family Fund. So we're joined now by one of its members, Don Tarrant. Good morning, Don. Good morning. And Stephen Jadick, who lives in Dauphin and is the superintendent of the Mountain View School Division. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. So, Don, if you could first just help paint a picture for the number of people that Dauphin has been welcoming. How many refugees did you first get back in the spring and, and are more still coming, Don? Yes, we started to bring in uh, like in early, or sorry, about mid-June. So uh, mid-June till now, with the latest family coming just on the 26th of December. So we have uh, ourselves have brought in 23 families. And about 71, uh, or exactly 71 uh, women and children and husbands, of course. Um, and we've got them pretty much settled in Dauphin in an area, as well as we're also supporting some other families that brought in, um, did their own thing. So we're also supporting some additional families. Stephen, what has the response been like in the community when it comes to residents not only looking to help newcomers, but just embracing them overall? Oh, it's it's very good. It's uh, everyone is uh, pitched in, uh, even with the uh, Parkland Ukrainian Family Fund uh, to get uh, helpers to uh, donate uh, clothes, to donate items uh, for setting up uh, houses, that sort of thing. It it was uh, actually there was so much uh, things coming in at that at some points that it was it was too much. But it was just great to see, and even now uh, the community is uh, is so supportive uh, of the families. Uh, it's it's just great to to have them here, and uh, it's certainly uh, enriching our community. Now, Don, it, it, it's Brett here. It's it's not easy moving at the best of times. Here That's we correct. have people fleeing with maybe a suitcase or two, maybe just the clothes on their back. So, what sort of challenges has that presented? Yes, well, that's exactly right. When we bring them in, in the, we pick them up in Winnipeg. They're, they have to get to Winnipeg. And every family we pick up, they basically they have uh, some bags of clothing, and that's pretty much it. So when they come in here, we have to, you know, uh, we promise some housing or we're donating housing and, you know, housing, then furniture, fixtures, you know, kitchen type uh, utensils, um, some clothing. 
uh, cash, um, trying to get, you know, driver's license. If they've got a driver's license, fine. If not, training for driver's license. And, and one of the bigger challenges, of course, is uh, English language training. We're doing all that stuff. So they are starting their life from just, you know, a complete start with virtually uh, nothing when they arrive. So it's, it's a it's a lot about money, but it's also about the, the, the uh, uh, volunteers doing a tremendous amount of work um, with all their skill sets to, you know, have them or get a real quick start to uh, a new life. In building that new life, I'm sure many have asked questions about jobs. Are they able to find jobs, find work? How's that all going, Don? Yes, it's going good. They, they actually right now, see, the only ones that haven't got jobs is the ones that arrived in uh, in kind of like December eighteenth or twentieth and on. So we had the what three families arrive here just just before Christmas or just two before Christmas and one after Christmas. So they haven't got jobs yet. But we're working with them to get jobs. But anyone that had arrived before that, they're all working. Um, even some single mothers are working. Uh, you know, there's two uh, husband and wife. They're both working, so they've done really, really well. The jobs they're getting right now are have got some have very good English skills, so they've got a I think a pretty darn good job. The other ones were the challenge by English. Uh, you know, the jobs are not a high paying job. They're still good jobs, but it's not high paying jobs. Um, so as they work towards getting a bigger, a better uh, English uh, skills. I think they're going to have, you know, certainly going to move up and get uh, more higher paying jobs and, you know, be able to sustain themselves quite well. Stephen, you're in the school system. What are you seeing with the kids who've come free from Ukraine and are now in school in the Dauphin area? Are they are they asking for Ukrainian immersion? What, what's the situation there? Uh, yeah, uh, they are. Uh, we actually have 28 students. Uh, in daycare and uh, in schools within uh, Mountain View School Division. We've got uh, in the school system, K-12, 24 students in five schools uh, within the school division. In Dauphin, where we have the English-Ukrainian bilingual program, virtually all of the students uh, of that age group are attending that school. So, yes, they are, they are feeling an affinity to the uh, Ukrainian bilingual uh, program, which is great. We have it uh, at uh, Smith Jackson School, K to five, and then grades six to eight at McKenzie Middle School. So uh, all of the students that are uh, K to eight virtually are uh, in the uh, English Ukrainian bilingual program uh, if they're in Dawson. And then we've got uh, a few others at the high school, and uh, there's no bilingual program there, but we do have supports at all of those schools in our school division with uh, EAL, uh, so help with English language learning, uh, with uh, academics, and and with uh, additional mental health supports. We've taken advantage of uh, some of the grants that the provincial government has available for school divisions for that, and they announced additional monies uh, prior to Christmas that uh, we've also applied for, so we're hoping to... uh, even get uh, some additional supports here uh, in the new year. We first talked to you too, I think back, it was in, in late May, early June, and, and back then the war was just a few months old. And now here we are, Stephen, you know, almost a year. It'll be almost a year since that invasion uh, was launched in February of 2022. And now we're going to this first Ukrainian Christmas in Canada for many of these families. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are as we approach Christmas on the Julian calendar and, and with the war still raging in Ukraine? 
Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's such an emotional time. It's it's hard to believe uh, that it's almost a year. Uh, and uh, you know what? There's additional damage that's going on every day uh, that's happening in Ukraine. Um, schools, hospitals, uh, hockey arenas uh, being being bombed and 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 shot at. So we. We are, uh, you know, wanting to do everything we can to to make the families feel welcome. I know that uh, prior to uh, the Christmas break at at the schools, there was uh, a Christmas dinner that was sponsored for all the newcomers and for volunteers. And it was just so nice to get everyone together, to share a meal together. And uh, all of the newcomer families uh, left that meal with a, a turkey and uh, potatoes uh, to take home. So it's it's those types of things that uh, that just are ongoing in the community that uh, that make a difference. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, families are feeling welcome. Our local radio radio station uh, CKDM uh, has uh, Ukrainian Christmas carols, uh, Ukrainian Christmas greetings that are playing on the radio uh, right at this time. So it's great uh, the families can tune in and, and uh, hear greetings in their native language and, uh, and appreciate that. Well, Don Tarrant with the Parkland Ukrainian Family Fund, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time. Thank you. And Stephen Jaddick, who also lives in Dauphin, superintendent of the Mountain View Division, thank you as well. Thank you very much. Smackling McGarry McNabb with that fog advisory in effect for areas to the west, to the south, and to the east. Maybe you'll find yourself reducing your speed a little bit this morning, depending on what you're encountering. And uh, maybe depending on what part of Winnipeg you live in, once this pilot project kicks off, you might find yourself with reduced speed. Because, Loren, just after 7 o'clock, we talked to Janice Lukes from City Council about this uh, new project that they're going to drop the speed to 30 and 40 in a handful of Winnipeg neighborhoods. Yeah, so I think it was back in 2019 that the province made changes to the law that would allow towns and cities to then make changes to speed limits, give them the, the, the right to adjust speed limits as they saw fit. And that's when they started talking about reducing speed limits on some residential streets. They've been So that's, uh, we're coming up on four years ago. We're now learning that starting in, in and around March, Worthington and Richmond West will see the 50 kilometer per hour speed zone on some streets in those neighborhoods reduced to 40 and then on some streets in Burkeville and Tyndall Park South is it Burkeville Burkeville I feel like I'm saying that wrong Greg you should know this yeah, one Burkeville okay so they're going to reduce it from 50 to 30 it's a pilot project um, I'm not sure why these neighborhoods were picked uh, we have some listeners suggesting they were cherry picked so that they can you know support the reduced speeds or not but they've been discussing this forever they're now going to test it see how it goes Janice Luke said at seven o'clock she fully expects her email to be inundated by the end of the day with all sorts of opinions Greg and they are coming in fast and furious uh, you're on the line that you'd like to see this reduction happen because so many of these neighborhoods have been built, built without sidewalks they've been built with maybe cars in mind and not people and pedestrians but lots of our listeners are weighing in to say uh-uh don't touch my speed yeah one of our listeners saying 30 40, 50 KA speed zones. What a waste of municipal time. One of our listeners asking, uh, Janice, where can I get the bubble wrap for my kids as they don't seem to be able to survive without rules that most of us have lived without for decades? And 
<laughs> Once again, exaggeration to make a point uh, by that listener. But a lot of people feel that way. I was fine. I survived. Why do we have to change anything? Yeah, I also didn't have seatbelts when I was, you know, 10 years old growing up. And I think we've learned that that that's a badly needed tool in your car. And so I think we do have, to, I, I don't, I, I like the idea of testing it. I was saying Calgary, I think has gone to 40. I know Edmonton was talking about doing this and Brett, it's not that we should necessarily follow what other cities are doing. It's just about the idea that maybe there's a, there was some middle ground here. Like one of our listeners who thinks 40 kilometers per hour is perfect. They lived in Montreal in the sixties and they say that was kind of the speed limit back then. And they think we're late making this move now. Don't study it. Just do it. Yeah, I would agree that for I, I like forty. If we're driving through, uh, if you're driving through a tight residential zone, and I guess it really depends on the street as well. Like when I think, uh, for example, if I wanted to go see a friend who lives deep in Transcona, like we're talking like Canterbury Park kind of area, that's like that's sort of it'll take you like ten minutes just to get from Regent and Plessy's to that point. So if you're going to make the the main sort of thoroughfares like Kildare. If you drop that below fifty, that wouldn't work. But the side streets, the residential streets, how like my dad's actually, street, how long are you actually driving on that? Yeah, exactly. So if you're, if we're talking about just side streets, I, I don't see the big deal because those are the like once you get off of the streets, like a Kildare, for example, in Transcona, sure. then you're on whatever street for a couple of minutes. Tops. She was making the point too that you know I think for every kilometer of speed added you save 18 seconds or something so you add it all up you're saving 180 seconds um if you're going 10 kilometers per hour faster like how how much time do you think you're quote wasting when you reduce your speed i will say this though i do think there needs to be signage the signage needs to be better i'm only talking to somebody who was dinged recently in the school zone that i didn't even know existed because i had never been in that neighborhood before and yes it's on me to be aware of where i am i get that but if we're going to have these signages, I then don't want to see a bunch of cars out there with photo radar. I agree. Uh, try to catch people. And, and if that's going to be where that goes, once again, let us know so we know what's happening. That's my, well, that will be my only beef if that's where this goes. And that, and that, that, and to be fair, that, and I won't identify the street, but that street in particular, Loren. Identify it, man. I didn't even know what was going on. Talbot? And then I got that. Talbot. That's a busy street. Like, if you were driving through there for the first time in months or years, you wouldn't think there'd be a school zone on that street. I had, I have no idea how he was on that street, to be quite honest. And then it happened to me a second time because I'm now going out there regularly for my pierogies. They're there. I need, I need a new route. <laughs> They're there every single day. And they're there because they're catching people. Yeah. And if they're catching people, that means it's unsafe for the kids at that school. Improve the flipping signage. That's right. And they're, they're always posted up at uh, Corden and Harrow as well. There's a school right there on the corners. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In our next segment, we are going to pick a winner for the Winnipeg Renovation Show tickets. We are asking you about a big brand that played a big part in your life, inspired by the fact that Chip and Pepper bought Cub Bread. And uh, this listener, for example, saying in high school in the early 80s, the Nike craze was alive and well. Every kid walking down the hallway was wearing white shoes with a blue swoop 
Except me, the radical I was, I bought white Nikes with a red swoop. <gasps> Best decision ever, because when it came time to leave a house party, I knew exactly which shoes were mine <laughs> as I watched as my friends tried to find theirs. And the Pac-Man shoelaces I had didn't hurt either. Perfect. Yeah, the, the shoe sale at the, at the neighborhood party was never good. You didn't want to lose <laughs> in that exchange. I've never heard that. I love it. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. Keep your text coming at 204-780-6868. Starting in March, speed limit. And boy, speaking of text, have we been getting text messages galore on this this morning, and we thank you for the feedback. Starting in March, speed limits on a few select streets in Winnipeg will be reduced by 10 to 20 kilometers per hour. So Worthington and Richmond West neighborhoods, they'll see that 50-kilometer zone reduced to 40 on some select streets. And then in Burkevale and Tyndale Park, they're going to go from 50 to 30. Right now, it's just a pilot project, but depending on you know potential effectiveness on reducing speed or feedback from residents, it could eventually be expanded. Ahmed Shalabi is a civil engineering professor at the University of Manitoba and joins us now to take this further. Good morning. Good morning, Gordon. So from a design perspective, when it comes to roads, does this make sense to you? Is there a case to be made for or against this kind of reduction? Uh, Winnipeg is really behind the times when it comes to speed limits. And and I would say it's actually not Winnipeg. It's the province of Manitoba. Um, Most other jurisdictions in North America have a default speed limit in in residential areas of, uh, you know, 40 kilometers an hour or 25 miles per hour, which is the same thing. Uh, we, we are at 50. Only few other jurisdictions are still at that level. Um, reducing speed limit uh, is always a controversial uh, issue. Most Many people believe that, you know, um, they can drive safely at 50 kilometers an hour, and they do. Uh, the issue is vehicles are becoming much larger uh, right now on the road, uh, taller, uh, very um, larger uh, blind spots. Uh, some would even require front-facing cameras to see what's happening in front of their bumper. Um, also, vehicles are, much, are more powerful than they used to be, uh, so they can sprint uh, very quickly and reach high speeds. And that's really um, reducing the speed limit uh, gives us gives everybody more time to um, uh, uh, see an upcoming vehicle and, and react to that. So that's the vehicle design. What about the neighborhood design, Ahmed? You know, we're asking neighborhoods to do more with less uh, as we build these new neighborhoods, many of them without sidewalks, many of them with narrower lots, many of them building houses closer to the street than ever before. And we get a lot of pushback here when I bring up the fact that my front street is also my back lane. It's also adjacent to the playground that is my driveway where my kids play basketball. And yes, sometimes they they play on the street. They, they throw a baseball or a football around or we're walking our dogs or riding our bikes all on that same piece of infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, absolutely right. I wish we had more space. We can uh, separate all these activities. But there isn't more space, and, and a lot of the older designs were uh, made to maximize the lot size for homeowners, um, but not anything else, not provide sidewalk, not provide room for utilities, for pipes and, and, and utilities to go, so they all go under the road. And, and uh, you're right, it's, you know, if we had more space for these, uh, the way to get that space is to reduce the number of lanes on the road and take some of that space and, and create the, the space we need for all other activities, for cyclists, for, for pedestrians. Um, 
as it is right now, a lot of these neighborhoods are uh, were designed what 100 years ago or more, and and uh, that was never a consideration. The, the number of vehicles on the road was not a consideration. Um, so we're really working with uh, the situation as is, and uh, calming the traffic and reducing speed limit is one way to prevent um, these um, um, collisions with vehicles and also uh, provide for calmer traffic. Mr. Shalaby, you say that we're behind, that we're behind other cities that have reduced their speed zone. So do you have any examples of some places that that have dropped the speed even, say, to 40 kilometers an hour? Um, I I can. um, There are cities in Ontario that have it at 40 kilometers an hour. Many cities in the U.S. are at 25 miles per hour, and it's regulated by the state, not by the city. So this, the state would have a, a speed limit of 25 miles per hour in residential areas, and cities would follow that. So that could potentially um, be uh, happening here, too, where, where the province would say speed limit in residential areas shall be uh, 40 kilometers an hour, and, and we go from there. So uh, uh, there, there are cities in B.C. that have 40, and, and many are looking at 30, too. So I know we, are, we have two uh, neighborhoods at 40 and two at 30. So some are looking at 30, but the majority are at least at 40 kilometers an hour. You know, we talked about, and Greg referenced his neighborhood, and you talked about the fact, Ahmed, about the the neighborhoods, you know, they might be older and they weren't necessarily built with what the future might look like when it comes to how fast the cars could be or where that neighborhood would go for growth. But we continue to build suburbs or add on to areas where we don't always have a sidewalk as part of the new design plan, or maybe there's only a sidewalk on one side of the street. And so it feels like even in 2023, we're not thinking like 2023, and, and I'm not really sure if that makes sense. And so is there a reason why, from a design perspective, that should be acceptable, or is it unacceptable? Um, I, I don't know if, I mean, the design uh, is part of city planning, and that really complies with uh, current regulations. So if the regulations don't require uh, a sidewalk on residential streets, uh, I don't think the developer is going to just put that uh, on their own, take the initiative to do that. So uh, you have to look at policy. You have to look at, you know, did we ha- do we have a policy that streets be built with sidewalks? And at this point, I think residential streets don't have that policy. Um, um, active transportation and, and um, pedestrian and cycling facilities are a relatively new thing. And, and we need to um, emphasize that in future designs so that when we build a new neighborhood, when we start in a, you know, in a, in a new neighborhood, we can um, take the time to separate between all these activities for, to make it safer, to make uh, it possible for us to enjoy uh, walking a dog on, 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 a, on a sidewalk rather than being in the street and having to negotiate traffic and, and be um, interacting with vehicles that are actually becoming too large, uh, very hard to see from, uh, too tall, and, and, and also very powerful, um, as we see in um, newer vehicle design. Ahmed Shalabi, civil engineering professor at the University of Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. And continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868. And you can also answer a question of the day at cjob.com or on Twitter or on Instagram. Where should residential speed limits be set? Cast your vote.
Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, we are asking you about the big brands that have had a big impact on your life for a chance to win tickets for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. we got a four-pack up for grabs. One of our runners-up, Loren Bob, who kind of ran a gauntlet with us of various brands that have affected him over the years. Taking us all over the place, Bob. Bob says there were three items I had at the time I was totally into, committed to, that as I look back, I reminisce with certain amounts of shame, embarrassment, or delight. In my youth, at one time or another, I was totally committed to tuck hockey skates, that's in 76, melded hockey boots with rivets that squeaked, squeaked, squeaked when I skated, Mm -hmm. kiss platform boots, so that's 78, which I wore until the craze died out. If I wore them now, I'd probably twist or break an ankle, Bob says, but would I look good in them as a 56-year-old retired teacher? (laughs) Yes, Bob, you would. Bob, you would. (laughs) And Bob says, lastly, our hockey team was invested in Cooperalls that I absolutely loved Got them the same year the Philadelphia Flyers and Hartford Whalers got them, which was 81, 82. You just didn't good want, times, well, good times. You just didn't want to fall in those Cooperalls because you'd slide like a bowling ball across the ice. Yeah? Because they were they were all hockey pant material from hip to toe. Yes. And so they were super slippery, uh, which was one of the reasons why the Flyers and the Whalers got rid of them. Okay. And constrictive, you'd think more to have pants like, you know, for your knees and stuff. You wouldn't be bending as well, I wouldn't think. I don't know. It was all part of the Cooperall safety. System was a good though. Oh, I loved the Cooper all back in the day. (laughs) This listener says, Do you remember beep juice came in an orange carton? Well, back in the day, we had it delivered by the milkman. Of course, you did. Who didn't? The the, the milkman's name, Loren, by the way, was Mr. Clark. Did you have a pseudonym while you were a milkman, Mackling? Anyway, I'm just kidding because this next part, this is where the story goes nuts. Craig delivered milk. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. (laughs) So, anyway, the, the milkman would deliver it. And he was once drunk, and he drove the milk truck into the river. Oh, boy. And I remember my dad jumping in to salvage the beep juice, the milk, chocolate milk, etc. It was a shallow river in uh, rural Manitoba. Oh, boy. Gotta save the beep. <laughs> Gotta the beep save was the valuable. Beep. That used to be my calling card when I was courting uh, young women back in the day, or of my own age. Beep. You'd bring them beep juice? Beep and chocolate milk in the middle of the night. Okay, let's get on with it. Jim, the bail- bailiff is our winner. As I attended Bernie Wharf Community School, being one of the first students when the school opened in grade seven, I had to have the Puma, 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 Red Suede Runners. I was the only one in school to have these, actually the only one in all of Mission Gardens. Had these runners for grade seven, eight, and nine, as every year I bought the same runners. When I ran, my feet looked like a ball of fire. Nothing wore, I wore went with the runners. Uh, some will call a fashion police. What? With that being said, while in grade nine, there were many break-ins and cars and homes of Mission Gardens, and the culprit apparently had the same runners. The police would show up, often questioning me where I was during the night, and I was the only one to have these ruby red runners. I explained to the police that I live in South Transcona, and I was innocent. I had to eventually click my heels and toss the runners. I was tired of being questioned by the police. As for today, twenty uh, and for 20 years, very loyal to Hamilton Watches. I have a collection and no longer questioned by Winnipeg's <laughs> finest. Jim the Bailiff and your Puma red suede shoes. Congratulations. You win the passes for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And Mr. Mackling, before we, we're hoping to talk some hockey here, but uh, what's happening on the gridiron? This just came 
This just came out. See, it came through my email, your email. Winnipeg Blue Bombers extend the contract of the CFL's most outstanding lineman, Stanley Bryant. Four-time CFL Most Outstanding Lyman returns in 2023 for his eighth season in blue and gold. And, of course, uh, Bryant was one of those players, one of many, who was due to become a free agent in February. The Blue Bombers solidifying that core of their outstanding players as they attempt to uh, reclaim the Grey Cup in 2023. How do you feel about... uh, Well, Greg's got to go make a phone call. But um, I am excited, Loren, for... This upcoming campaign, because I, uh, we sort of talked about this early after the the Bombers went down in the Grey Cup, but I just get the sense that this is a football team, that this is a franchise that is uh, on a mission to set things right. Oh, a hundred. I, I think the thing that's happening right now is that they're trying to establish what part of this core needs to stick around, what, who they're going to keep, which I think is at this rate, it feels like the almost the whole nucleus of this championship winning team is going to be back for the spring. And there is something, you know, like I have to say, coming into 2022 after two Grey Cup wins, there was something that was harder about this past season because you could taste that third one almost more easily. And we're not a, we're not a city. I don't think that. Like we like it when we're down a bit. Like we come back from the underdogness and and rise to the top. And when you're at the top, it's almost harder to stay there. And it made 2022 uncomfortable. Now I'm kind of feel like we're back in the territory that we know. Okay, fine. We lost. We lost in the final. We're coming back, baby. Some champions like to run from behind. They like yes. to catch up later. Uh, Fifteen and three, obviously a record season for the Blue Bombers, and uh, they're looking to set it and make it right. So expect uh, some more announcements like this in the coming days, Brett. All right, and hey, on the subject of hockey, by the way, congratulations to Craig Sheard, who won the pair of tickets for the Manitoba Moose versus the Texas Stars at Canada Life Center on Sunday, January twenty second. And on the subject of hockey, the Winnipeg Jets are back in action tomorrow night versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. Another measuring tape game for the home team. Yeah, the Jets are on a three-game heater, Brad, having defeated the Calgary Flames 3-2 Tuesday night to complete a sweep of the other three Western Canadian teams in the NHL. Color analyst on our Jets broadcast here on 680 CJOB, Jamie Thomas joins us now. Jamie, good morning. Morning, guys. How are you? We're doing really well. Before we set up tomorrow night's game, Mm -hmm. by all accounts, plenty of fun at Canada Life Centre last night. Thousands joining for the Jets. Uh, annual skills competition. Did you have the blades on last night, Thomas? Yeah, yeah, I did. And uh, it's amazing how when you step on the ice in front of professional athletes, how you suddenly forget how to skate. <laughs> so, I had Adam Lowry staring at me like, oh, crap. Um, so, And then one time I went in to interview one of the players. I, I, I almost toe-picked, but I, didn't, I gave him nothing to work with. So Jesse Pollock stole all the attention with his shenanigans last night so <laughs> i just st- stayed in the background well it's funny on a, a day where chip and pepper made big news you had jesse yeah. pollock in town maybe uh as big a supporter of winnipeg as as there is that doesn't live here so uh mm-hmm. sounds like a great event let's get into what the jets have been up to before we take a look at what they have ahead of them three straight mm-hmm. wins each on a, each one a little bit different jamie yeah. what have you liked about the jets over this stretch uh, resiliency comes to mind for me what about for you yeah i think that's the best way to define it um like just 
The best part about Rick Bonus is saying we're looking for solutions, not excuses. And, and that's pretty much what the theme has been since all these players have been injured. And I think you and I and anybody else that's been a Jets fan and been watching this year, I think you, you'd be like, oh, that's okay. With all these regulars out, I can understand why things haven't gone well, but they keep winning. And, you know, there was a little stretch there where they had a hiccup right before. You know, I mean, I, the schedule caught up to them and the injuries right before Christmas. I don't think anybody could play five games in seven days and play on both coasts and expect positive results out of that. Um, the schedule makers must have hated the Jets at the time when they put that one together. But they come back, you know, energized, and they, they've played some really good hockey. And I think it's the fact about it is just consistency. Guys have been grinding. They can't score their way out of issues like they could earlier in the year, so they just play better defensive hockey. So they haven't put themselves in bad spots and have found their way to win different games and different styles, and good teams do that. And for them to be looking like this and finding ways in January and to close out December is a good sign. You talked about consistency, Jamie. So let's talk mm-hmm. about that penalty kill because yeah. it's been perfect during the three-game win streak. What? Why? Is there an answer to the why? Yeah. Sometimes there's luck, I know, but that's not it. It's practice, practice, practice. Right, it, 100%. And then the goaltender plays a large role into that, Loren. is just when Connor Hellebuck is on, he's like the, uh, such a massive difference maker. And you've seen games this year where the opposition doesn't get solid goaltending. Like Washington – Got some great goaltending, but I think of Florida. It was just a good team overall, but Spencer Knight wasn't very good, and Connor Hellbeck makes that extra save. But during this three-game win streak, you look at the penalty kill. They were down one nothing early to Vancouver, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Remember after that game against Minnesota? And then Vancouver gets two power plays, and Vancouver's power play, I believe, at the time was top five. They have some pretty good players, Elias Pettersson, and go down the list, JT Miller, um, Quinn Hughes, like they got some pretty good firepower on their on their man advantage. Just kill off those two penalties and go on to win that hockey game. And then the the mother of all challenges, uh, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers, their number one power play. And you know you're down a man under two minutes left or just over two minutes left when the, Dylan Demello got that uh, two or double minor for high sticking and you're holding your breath. But they kept everything to the outside which is extremely challenging to do. If anybody's been watching Connor McDavid, he finds his way through anything and they hold on and win that game. And then again with Calgary the other night, the PK delivers again. So it's been goaltending the majority of the time. They're keeping things to the outside. They'll give up that shot on the outside all day long or anything from the point when there's no traffic in front because Connor Hellebuck is going to make the save on that one. So they've just been doing the little details right and such a massive improvement on the penalty kill from, from last year. And, you know, it was, a, it was a focal point in training camp, and it certainly delivered at a tough time when, when the Jets are uh, up against it with bodies out of the lineup. Well, you talk about focal points during training camp. Offense from the defense was also mm. a focal yep. point there. Josh Morrissey now up to seven goals. So are yep. they meeting Rick Bonus's expectations? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, with, with your entire right side decimated, out of the lineup, Ehlers and Wheeler and Appleton, you, you have to find offense from somewhere else. And the, the goal was 40 goals from the blue line. And it sounded a little bit interesting when he first said that at the beginning part of training camp, but just the expectations for Josh Morrissey to step his game up and be the elite defenseman that Rick Bonus believed he could be, has certainly got there. And the way he scored that goal, you know, he spins through two defenders on the blue line. I, I know Josh Morrissey was a confident player beforehand, but for him to have that confidence this year, He's the lone guy back and still is confident enough in himself to be able to get two defenders at the blue line and fight his way through and take a pass back from Kyle Connor and, and score. That, that, we haven't seen that from him. Now that confidence is all there. Neil Pionk's got a, is tied a career high with six goals this year. Brendan Dillon scored his first goal the, of the night the other night. So 
Uh, Dylan DeMello has been chipping in. So I go down the list, but it, it's it's causing problems for the other team when they know the Jets defensemen are jumping up in the play and they know that the wingers are going to see that and recognize that and drop back into back to defend as well. Uh, it's been working out. And while they try and figure out uh, who's coming back next or how long this ever, you know, they're not going to be hundred percent healthy offense from the defense is integral. You know, and the offense from from the usual suspects is yeah. Obviously, it's critical. You mentioned the idea of the best players being the best players, but yeah. Jamie, their best players have gotten better this mm-hmm. season. PLD looks more comfortable, more yeah. confident. Mark Shifley is doing things uh, that he's always done, and then some. Uh, defensive zone in particular has been stronger, yeah. and so yeah. the idea that that their good players are getting better and Connor Hellebuck's right at the top of the list almost seems impossible to a great extent. Yeah, and uh, again, like you, you are missing such key players, so other guys have to bring it up. And we talked about Morrissey and Hellebuck. I think the guy that we should be, you, you didn't think he would have another bad year, right? And then I don't, I don't want to say it was a bad year. It's just a down year for Mark Shifley. For him to be where he is right now, he's you know on pace for almost 50 goals. I think that's you're pretty happy with that. But he gets a big hat trick uh, the other night, and you just have to be thrilled with that. But it's his 200-foot game that's improved so much, and Rick Bonus has touched on it. You keep recognizing that fact that if you're good at your end, offense will come from it. And the Jets aren't looking for offense like they were in years past. Now they're thinking about their own end first, and they can figure out they're going to score at the other end at some point. So Mark Scheifele and then Pia... Pierre-Luc Dubois has just been dominant. And he's he's so good at when he takes a penalty, taking somebody with him because he's just such a burr in the side of the opposition. He seems to get everybody's skin with the way he plays the game. And I'm um, sure he takes the odd occasional penalty, but traditionally somebody will go with him or it will frustrate that player to react a little bit later in the game. Um, and he's just such a dominant force with the puck on his stick. He can keep it back and hold off defenders with his strength. So I think you have some you have some two elite players up the middle of the ice, and that's really what's kept things together. For the one of the many reasons why things have stayed together here, why they wait for bodies to get back in the lineup. I have to ask before we let you go, Jamie, if you yeah. were to go in a skills competition, is there a category you think you'd do well in? Like, I mean, I always feel like I'd like to try the breakaway, even though I know it'd yeah. look ridiculous, right? So yeah. It's the shortest amount of time, Loren, though, on the yeah. ice, right? If you just do a breakaway, it's like five yeah. people. Because there's so many people going, people forget about you. That right, and you could like go in slow. Some of those guys go in slow and then do a couple moves. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. I think that, that's the safest one, I think, 100%. Like, if you're doing the target, like you're doing accuracy shooting, like there's everybody staring at you at that moment. That's, that's, I think that would be terrible. And I think the uh, puck relay where they're, where they're trying to saucer pass pucks in those little tiny nets, like if you miss – like Mark Shifley did it so well last night because he just seems like he doesn't even care. He's yes. just using reflexes. And as soon as you, I got told, Adam Lauer said, if you start aiming, that's when it starts going sideways mm-hmm. on here. And you could see it. Now I'm looking at guys, okay, that guy's aiming. But just the thought of just sitting there, like I saw at the All-Star game, and you know, these guys are elite players. But once you realize there's like thousands of people in the stand, there's a million people watching at home, and then you got your peers staring at you the same. That's the worst part. Your fellow, like your fellow peers, are just staring at you, gassing at you while you're doing those things. So I would stay the heck away from that. So to answer your question, breakaway relay, 
I'd go first so everybody would forget about me. So Jamie Thomas first, Brett McGarry second, <laughs> Loren McNabb third. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll get uh, Cameron Poitras fourth, and, and I'll embarrass myself in the anchor yeah. position. Uh, can you arrange that, Jamie, or what? Yeah, yeah, I'm on it right now. Okay, sounds <laughs> great. But next year, the skills competition, like, forget Jesse Pollock. Like, come on. Uh, Enough, he's already I had should... his time. Like, the five of us. That's I can't raise the puck. I should flag that. Like, I literally can't get it off the ice. But you know what? Lots, lots of kids can five hole kids here we come. raising the puck. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I still I still like to call it ice hockey. So I think uh, <laughs> that probably speaks to the level of skill that I have. On well, the get ice. your broom ball shoes, Brett. <laughs> it is ice hockey at the Olympics. So. Fair enough. And on my Nintendo, Jamie Thomas. Thank you very much for joining us. Much appreciated, sir. All right, guys, take care. All the best. And Derek Taylor and crew help set things up with pregame coverage beginning at 5 tomorrow. Paul Edmonds and Jamie Thomas have the play-by-play just after 7 on your radio home of the Winnipeg Jets, 680 CJOB.